Good morning. I am not Pastor Eric. Uh, I may look like I've eaten Pastor Eric, but I assure you that I have not. As you heard earlier, Pastor uh, is away leading a conference and being a part of a mission trip. And um, I just want to say something about him while he's not here. Um, Honestly, someone could give direction by saying, this is what we're going to do and this is who we are. But someone that says that and then does it is a completely different style of leader. I'm very thankful that we have a pastor at this church that just doesn't talk about living the mission, but actually does it. And so we should be grateful as a church um, that we have him to, to guide us as a church, to lead us uh, in, in a way of being biblical. And, and uh, I, I assure you, this is the third service this morning, um, and I'll have one more after this. And this is not easy. And so be thankful for Pastor Eric. And when he gets back, tell him that, tell him that you missed him and that you're thankful that he leads the way that he does. Um, we, are, we are very fortunate to have a, a pastor like him. With that being said, don't tell him I said that, right? No, don't, don't tell him I said that. Tell him I said something harsh or something like that. But my name is John Adams. I'm the young adults minister here. And so I work with those that are 18 to 39. Uh, and my primary area of ministry is called the 127 ministry, which is 18 to early 30s. And so I have the privilege of working with, with those folks that are in college, that are young professionals that serve in the military, um, those that are single, those that are engaged, those that are married. I have a lot of people I get to work with, and I'm very fortunate for that. And I'm thankful that Pastor Eric has asked me to fill in for him. Um, Father's Day, we've already mentioned, right? So it's already been talked about. It's already been on the screen in a video, but, but I got this opportunity to be here on Father's Day. And so I asked my wife to shoot a video of our daughter, and she's got a special message for each one of the dads that are out there this morning. For those of you that may not know her very well, I'll translate. She said, dad, 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 happy Father's Day. That's what she was saying. So very thankful for her and my wife. We're in the the series of Love Is, and so we're looking at the last aspect of the series. And so if you have your scriptures, I'm going to ask that you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to be highlighting verses 7 and 8, but we're actually going to talk briefly about where we are in the, the series and how we got to where we are to kind of provide a context. So whether you've been here for all of the weeks or this is your first week, we want to catch you up. And so basically, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. And so he's writing to them about spiritual gifts in chapters 12 and 14. But in chapter 13, he transitions completely away from spiritual gifts in a sense, though it's mentioned and brought up. The the purpose of it is regarding love. And so Paul is highlighting spiritual gifts in chapter 12. And then when he gets to 13, he highlights what love is in retrospect. And what it, why he's doing this isn't because he made a mistake or, or that this ended up at the wrong place. It was very intentional. The Holy Spirit had guided Paul to give direction to the church of Corinth because what happened is they were a very gifted church. They were able to speak in tongues. Um, they were prophesying. Uh, they were teaching. They were administering in like these wonder works. It was a, a lot of things were happening. But what was absent in all of these works was love. And so as he's talking to them about these spiritual gifts in which the Lord had given to them, he's highlighting to them that it's not about self-promotion. 
It's not about boasting in what the Lord has given to you, but in respect, that gift was meant to glorify God, and in the process, it also would build up the church through these gifts. Paul's saying you have these wonderful spiritual gifts that have been gifted to you by God. They are not yours. They've been gifted. Use them well. And so as we go through, and if you will, turn to to, uh, your scriptures there in chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 4. And we're going to highlight out what this series has been about with our our focus being on 7 and 8 for this morning. Follow along with me, if you will. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Let us pray. Father, I pray that as we go through this service, that this is not some religious ritual, but we come with a heart expecting that you will speak and teach to us through your word and that we will apply these things as we walk out of here. And that, Father, in spite of my failures, in spite of my, my inefficiencies, God, I pray that you, you work through me in spite of myself. Father, I pray that you will send your spirit to us to teach and to guide us and that we will worship you well during this time. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. We have to get love right. Essentially, Paul is telling the church of Corinth, you can do a lot of things, but you you have to get this aspect right. It's a must. And so I want to tell you a story just about when I was growing up as far as what I think love is not. But I grew up and I had two sisters. They were both older. And so they would watch me on occasions throughout the summer. And so when I was there for summer vacation, uh, they would be there. They would watch over me while my mom was working or out doing whatever she was doing. And I was about five or six. And my sister Gail was watching me. And so I was outside playing, being a good little boy like I always was. And I was out there having a great time doing my own thing. And my sister Gail called to me and she said, John, come here. So, of course, I came running immediately. And she said to you, you have been so good today. I am going to give you a huge bowl of ice cream. And so I want you to go back out, play as hard as you can. And I'm going to call for you and there will be a big bowl of ice cream waiting for you. Now, it doesn't take you very long to look at me, even at a distance, and to realize I like food. At the age of five or six, I was relatively small. I still liked food. And so I went outside, and I played as hard as I could. Now, just to preface this, there are only two types of food that I do not like. I do not like spaghetti, right? Spaghetti tastes like you're eating worms, right? You got it in sauce or something. It's nasty. I, yeah, well, why do you eat it? And so it's, it's, the consistency, it's just it's not good. I'll eat noodles, but I, but I don't like spaghetti noodles. The other thing I don't like is coconut. Now, some of you, how many of you love coconut? Like, you could have coconut all the time. A lot of you. How many of you hate coconut? Even the thought of it makes you sick. Well, most hands went up for those of you that like coconut, so we'll, I'll pray for you later. But, <laughs> but I really don't like coconut. There's usually not an in-between on that. You either love it or you hate it. I hate it. 
So I, I run in, and my sister Gail has this huge bowl of vanilla ice cream, and it is overflowing at the top. I'll never forget. I was so excited. I tell you, I love food. And this will be a reoccurring theme today. And so I sit down, and there's a spoon there, and I take a huge scoop, and I stick it in my mouth. And my sister Gail, God love her, put coconut into the ice cream. She stirred it in, knowing I hated coconut. I was five or six years old. I am 34 now. I have not forgotten that. <laughs> Love does not count wrongs, I believe, as earlier, but I'm not focusing on that passage today. So, you know, I remember that. And so I remember that. And, and I have a good relationship with my sister, Gail. Now, even though she did that, I don't believe that she did that with malice intent or to harm me or, or, or anything like that. I think she did it as a joke. And I was able to laugh it off several years later uh, and, and forgive her of those things, and it was good. And, but I don't believe that she had malice intent. What we have to make sure of is that as we have experiences in life that are very much our coconut moments, maybe, that we don't automatically push out the negative on people or to make claims about them or to think about them in a certain way that is not accurate. Love is optimistic. And as we look through these scriptures in, in chapter 13, and as we highlight the 7 and 8, we're going to go through each one of these. Love promotes the promises. It's easy for us as individuals to become skeptics of individuals because we've been hurt before. But love is optimistic, and, and love is something that we have to have as a church, just like the church of Corinth. First Norfolk has to have that as well. We have to do it well. And so love bears all things. Love bears all things. Now, we were in southern Indiana at this uh, function. It was called uh, Trunk or Treat. And it was this event at this church that it was a safe alternative for Halloween. So it was like the folks got together. They decorated the trunks of their cars. They wore outfits and non-scary outfits. And, and so it was an opportunity to pass out tracks and to pass out candy and to, to meet folks in the neighborhood. Now, I dressed up as a very scary person. I didn't realize it was such a big deal. I kind of broke the rules. I dressed up as a Cincinnati Bengals player, which... <laughs> terrified the people there. They were uh, Indianapolis Colts fans there. It'd be the same as if I were here and I dressed up as a Dallas Cowboy. Uh, you would be, people would be mad and sick and angry and writing mean emails and stuff like that. So you would be upset. So I wore this, but one of the outfits that was used by several of the people there is they had dressed up like Care Bears. And so for those of you that know the Care Bears, they're fuzzy bears and they have a belly on them with like a logo on it. And they had taken the sign and put love bears all things. And they had kind of made it look like fur on the bears. And so I went over to them and I said, that scripture is being taken out of context. That's not talking about animal bears. That's talking about not pointing out the problems of other people. Do you see the irony there? <laughs> I'm glad you do because they didn't. They were upset. They were like, how dare you say something like that? And I was like, Never mind. And so I was just, and I went back and apologized to them, but love bears all things. And so when we love, we bear those people that, are, that struggle or have difficulty or have failures in their life. We don't point them out and we don't highlight them and expose their weaknesses or expose their issues, but we should use our gifts to build up. 
Now, for those of you that were in a service last week where Pastor Eric had taken off his jacket at some point, and he had used an illustration that so often we, we kind of tell people, you're going to fall off a cliff, you're going to fall off a cliff, don't keep walking, and then they keep walking, and then they fall off the cliff. And he said, it's easy for us to stand at the top of the cliff and look down and say, you got what you deserved. That's not love. Love bears all things. We don't point out the the, the failures in individuals, but he talked about how Christ, in that same sense, would not point his finger and look down and, and scoff at their failure, but yet he would go down to them and minister to them and to build them up and use the gifts that, use the gifts that we have to bring them out of the rocks from the bottom of the cliff. Love bears. It cares. Not care bears, but it, it cares. And it, and it doesn't expose the failures of others, the epic failures that people have. And we may think of people in our, our church here. You may think of family. You may think of coworkers and people that have made really bad choices, and, and they've suffered consequences. Are you the person that's ministering to them, or do you point your finger at them and say, look at what you did? So often when we may gather together in circles and we have prayer request time, we will spend 10 minutes telling about somebody's failures and faults and issues and 10 seconds praying for them. That is not love. That is not the way that we are to be as a church or as individuals. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Just before we get into chapter 13 on love, if you look at verses 30 and 31, it says this. It says, Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. The excellent way there that Paul is highlighting is that you can have these wonderful gifts But we don't point out the failures or those that lack. And see, what was happening is the more excellent way is with love. You can have great gifts and you can be involved in doing some great things, but you do it in a more excellent way with love. See, what was happening is the Corinth church was gathering together and they would say, Ah, we can speak prophecies. You can't. Therefore, we're more superior than you. And then there would be others that were doing miracle workings. And then they would say, we can do miracle workings. All you do is tell us what we're going to do. And we do those things. And we're better than you. We're more superior. Paul highlights out at the end of chapter 12. And he says, you want a more excellent way of doing things? Do it with love. Now, as a staff, we are given kind of these guidelines in which we do ministry. One of them is an excellence. Everything that we do as a ministry, as a staff, as we gather together and to plan events, we do things with an idea of excellence. And those, that form of excellence is with love. If the things we're doing don't match that, then we shouldn't be doing it. And so we do things in an excellent manner. We build those up around us. And that was the purpose of the gifts. Glorify God and build up the church around us. The next thing is that love believes all things. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard this passage taken out of context way too much. Love believes all things. So if someone tells you the sky is blue, the sky is red, or the sky doesn't exist, there's a relativistic way of thinking of things that everyone is right. Therefore, we don't have to worry about it because love believes all things. That is not what the context of this passage is, and that's a wrong way of thinking. The, The concept here is that 
We believe the people around us, again, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, the believers who have spiritual gifts, that we believe the people around us are not evil people. We believe that they are not maliced individuals that are looking for an opportunity to hurt someone else. And so as we go through life, and especially life within this church, we have to come to that understanding that we don't want to look across the aisle and say, that person is intentionally trying to hurt me. We should believe the best about individuals, especially those that are a part of our own family, family of Christ. And so when we come to this, in Colossians 3.13, it says, bearing with with one another, and as if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you must forgive. We believe that those have hurt us in the past. We believe the best about them. We have a, a, an optimistic view of them. And we hope that they don't do things that are out of malice, but we trust that they aren't that way. We trust, we believe that. Love hopes all things. It's that spirit of optimism. When in doubt, we assume the best about an individual. Now, just to give you an illustration, like this morning, I can tell you, as I've experienced this now a couple of times here, you know, you can get very focused, especially when you're, you're preparing to, to preach a text. Like, I want to make sure I'm handling it faithfully, and I want to make sure that I do things well with excellence, with love, and that I communicate well. And, I, and there's a lot going on in my mind. Now imagine as we leave this, uh, this sanctuary this morning, this worship center, and I am walking out down the hallway. Now keep in mind, there's a 1230 service that's over at the Crossroads Center immediately after this. So as I'm walking out the door here and down the hallway, and one of you or someone from one of the earlier services goes to stop me as I'm walking by because I've got to get there. And I'm walking by and I'm thinking, you know, you know, maybe praying, maybe I'm thinking about what I'm getting ready to say, I'm wanting to make sure I'm there on time. There's all these things going on, and I walk past you as you say hello to me. It would be easy for you to think, you know what, that guy preaches on love, but he is a jerk. It would be easy for us to assume the worst about individuals. You could think that about me, but then what about the people that you even care about? Maybe even your own family members or the family members that are part of this church. You could easily think something negative or harsh about them simply because you had an an experience or an event that occurred and then now you've portrayed them as being something else. We have to be very cautious in this. We have to make sure that, that we assume the best about individuals, specifically those who are part of our church family. We have to assume the best. Now here's the, the problem with assuming the best about an individual is that you could be wrong. It opens us up when we love people, when we love people the way that that Christ uh, has commanded us and the way that Scripture teaches us and the way that God has shown us. When we love people, we can get hurt. We have to open up ourselves, and we don't know the motives of another individual at all. We only may know our motives, and we don't know how they're going to respond. See, We can't be concerned about how people receive us and our acts of love. Us being faithful to God is loving well, regardless of how it's handled, regardless of how it's taken, regardless of the motives of those around us. We love well because God loves well. And when we get hurt, we come to a place of understanding that we can really relate well with Christ because he was willing to love us 
while we were yet still enemies of his and stood opposed to who he was. We can experience that understanding, but if we start to push our ideas and our thoughts and and our unloving spirits on individuals because we think they may take something out of context or that they may do something to harm us, maybe we're afraid to open ourselves up because we don't want to be hurt and we become unloving individuals, then we are not like Christ at all. And this passage isn't just for the Corinthian church. It's for the universal church. It is for us today. We are to be loving individuals that, that want to believe the best about others. Love endures all things. For those of you that are in the military or that you served in the military or maybe you're on a base as a civilian, this word here that is highlighted for endures, the, the Greek word here is like a military word. It's about standing firm, not giving up the fort, if you will. You, you stand firm and you fight through and you continue to, to press on. And so love is about enduring and standing, standing firm. And I started thinking about the things in life that pull me away from being a loving person. And usually it comes down to a lot of my own selfishness. And so what ends up happening is my selfishness or my needs don't get met or someone doesn't fulfill the things that I think that they should. And then I become an unloving individual. And, I've, and Scripture here is saying, stand firm for love. Stand firm and don't give up the fort. And I started thinking, what is our, what is our fight? You know, what, what is the thing that we should be considering and thinking about so that we remain loving when the enemy attacks us? And patience was what comes to my mind, to be more patient. Just to give you an example of how unpatient I am as an individual, yesterday after being up here and studying for the day and preparing uh, for this morning, I decided I deserved a treat, so I wanted to go to Dairy Queen, right? I wanted a blizzard, not just any blizzard, a Georgia mud fudge. And so I got in line. There were two cars that were in front of me, and so I pulled around the corner, and I'm thinking the, the wonderful Georgia mud fudge blizzard I'm getting ready to partake. I am excited. So there's these two cars in front of me. I order a large Georgia mud fudge blizzard, right, as my wife rolls her eyes, and and I'm, and I'm excited, and so I wait, and I'm listening to a Christian radio station, so a song is playing, and I'm just singing right along, praise you, Jesus, for blizzards, you know, and I'm just excited. So then I'm sitting there, and a song goes away, and a song comes back on, and I have not moved. I am still sitting in the same spot. And then song goes away, and another song comes back on, and I'm starting to really lose my patience. So finally, the car in front of me moves, and so I'm thinking there's only one more car that stands between me and good times, and I'm looking forward to it. And so I'm sitting there, and a song comes on, and the song leaves. And then I see someone hand over a card, and then they hand the card back, and so I'm thinking, okay, it's almost done. And I sit there, and another song was starting as it was ending. I was getting mad, angry. And I wait, and I wait, and I'm waiting for this massive bag of food to be distributed out. You know what it was? It was a cup. We were waiting for a cup. So I pull on up to the drive-thru, and I'm convinced that this person that is working behind the counter is demon-possessed, right? Because they are standing between me and what makes me happy. And you know what? We do this. Now, I do it maybe in line waiting for some ice cream, but each one of us, when we are inconvenienced in some way, we want to demonize somebody else, whether they knew or didn't know what they were doing, and we want to point the blame at them. It wasn't her fault that we were waiting in line. I don't know the circumstances. I don't need to know the circumstances, but I can assure you one thing. I need, I need to learn patience because how can I be a loving individual if I can't be patient with the people around me? 
And each one of us, as we stand in line and we wait or we're inconvenienced, the first thing that we want to do is write a Facebook post and trash the person that's waiting in line, or we want to talk bad about that company or whatever it is. We have to be people of love, which will exhibit aspects of patience in our lives. As we were studying and looking at this, I came across James chapter 5, verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast or patient, depending on your translation. You have heard of the steadfastness or the patience of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We need to exhibit the patience that Job had, the steadfastness that Job had, with an understanding that our Lord is full of compassion and mercy, and every time that we turn our back on Him and we go against His will, He's always there willing to love us in spite of who we are. Praise God for that. We turn our back on him over and over and over. He turns his back on us never. We are reminded that we need to be people that that will endure. It's easy for us to become frustrated. Love never fails. It never becomes invalid or useless. It never ceases. It never vanishes. Paul highlights that the spiritual gifts are temporary. See, the concept of the spiritual gifts was for the here and now, if you will, so that the Lord will be glorified in these things, the church will be built up. But when things are made perfect, as Paul says later, as as Christ returns, we won't need spiritual gifts. We won't need anybody to prophesy. We won't need anybody to to, to speak in tongues in such a way. Those things aren't going to be there. And he's highlighting to the church of Corinth, and he's saying to them, the things in which you covet the most are the temporary things. Let me tell you about something that will last forever. Love. And he highlights out this. If you look a little further down in chapter, he highlights three things. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these three is love. They endure forever. The things that we seek after so often are temporary things that won't last. And we allow that to gauge whether or not we will be loving individuals. I submit to you this morning that is ungodly and that we should desire to be more Christ-like in our attributes and who we are as an individual. Now, if you were to highlight and look at verses 4 through 7, you see what love is, as this has been part of our series. And if you were to look at Jesus Christ, he exhibited what love is. That is the traits in which we should be desiring. These are the traits in which we should be looking forward to possessing in our own lives with our friends and our family, and especially with those within the church and outside of the church. We want to be more Christ-like in our attitude. And the way that we do that is to be more loving. Now, just kind of in conclusion, I'm going to bring up food one more time. I have to. It's almost almost lunchtime. I enjoy watching the Food Network. I enjoy watching the food, next Food Network star. For those of you that know what that program is, I'm starting to watch it. My, don't clap for that. And so I turned in my man card when I started watching it. But for those of you that know about it or, or whatever, you may not, but it's, it's okay. You don't have to watch it. But what it is is it's a, it's a program in which there are these judges that are very gifted, like they're, 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 they're culinary geniuses or chefs, and they've owned restaurants, and they're very famous, and people know who they are, and they write books and write recipes and things like that. So they're well-known. And what they do is they gather a bunch of people that 
are maybe they've been cooking for years or maybe they're chefs or maybe they've gone to school for it or something like that. And they gather these people together and they're looking for the next Food Network star. They're looking for that next person that's going to sit up there and, and, and turn on a blender and cakes come out of the oven. And they're looking for that personality. And so what happens is to get them from this large group to an individual who's going to take over the show and become instantly a celebrity in the food area, what ends up happening is they give them these tasks to do kind of throughout. So what happens is they'll say, you've got 30 minutes and a potato, do something with it. And so the people are running around and they're trying to make things out of potatoes and they want it to look good on a plate. It's got to taste good. It's got to impress the judges. And so often these people that have been doing things for years, they will come to that place of a 30-minute time window and in their rush and in their haste of life, in that moment, they forget ingredients for their dish. And when they submit it to the judge and their souffle doesn't become a souffle, or the things that were supposed to pop up and be airy looking and they're flat and, and they miss ingredients. Folks, we could do a lot of really good things at this church. But if we don't include the ingredient of love, when we present these things to the judge, Christ, I submit to you that we will fail. We can do great things, but without love, we miss it. As we examine our own lives, as you examine your own life, examine the context of how you love. Does your love represent that love of Christ and that if somebody were to see you or encounter you or work with you all the time, that they would see love or would they see something else? You can do great things and still miss it. We as a church can do great things and still miss it. My prayer for us as a church and as individuals and even for myself as I oversee a ministry is that when I do things, I do things in love. And I follow my example that was given to me, Jesus Christ, and I do it that way. For some of you this morning, you have not experienced the love of Christ. You have not accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Here in just a few moments, we're going to have a couple of our ministers that will be down here, and they're going to be available. And if you need prayer, or if you want to become a member of this church, or you want to follow through with believer's baptism because you've been disobedient and you haven't done that, or you need to ask somebody, I want to be a follower of Christ, how can I share a love I don't experience? Then you'll be able to come down here and meet with them. For some of you that have examined your life in just these last few moments, you may have looked at your life and said, you know what, I'm not very loving. I point my finger at other people. I'm a, I'm a spiteful individual. And I need to change things. And you can't change things, but God can change things. He can change things through you. The Spirit can guide you, and you can do those things. And so maybe this morning, as the musicians come, that you need to come and give that as your offering this morning an unloving spirit, and you hand it over and say, God, give me your love to share. Maybe you've got questions about how to become a member of this church, or maybe you've been attending here for years, but you just haven't connected in. In the back, we're not having the pastor's reception, per se, as, as Eric is gone, but there will be staff members and other volunteers that will be there. And if you have questions about the church, that'll be the opportunity for you to, to go back there and ask questions or to, to seek counsel and guidance. Folks, we have to get the ingredients right. As the church of Corinth was getting it wrong and Paul was correcting them, very much so, God needs to maybe correct our own hearts. 
as we look at the mirror called Scripture.